Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here to worship with us. We've had an awesome week. This has been a great week. Uh, it's been a blessing to spend time with many of your children and many of the children that came out of our community. I was uh, really amazed this year that well over half of the kids we had in Vacation Bible School were, were not kids from our church. They were kids from the community. And that, that's a praise the Lord. That's what we, we hope for, you know. Um, it was wonderful to be able to build and start uh, relationships with, with some of these new kids and, and work on the relationships that we've had with our other kids. Some of them went to camp with us, so I got to know them a little bit there and a little bit more this week in Vacation Bible School. It's been pretty awesome. This week has once again affirmed for me the urgency and the enormity of the task of reaching children for Christ, it, it is also confirmed just how that should be done. I am thankful, and it's already been expressed this morning, I, I'm thankful for the church, for a church that loves children, loves the Lord, ministers to children. Uh, children have to be a priority, but listen to me, so do families, so do families. Churches have a very important role in ministering to children for the Lord Jesus Christ. But our ministry to them is a secondary role. We, we have a task to reach children for Christ. But it's not our primary responsibility to do that. That primary responsibility of winning, Christ, winning children to Christ is that of parents. And, and the family, the home, is to be the, the primary venue for that to take place. I've been reading some stuff by Tony Evans. Imagine that. And, and I want to read some comments that he has to say about this. Because I think he's spot on. Okay. He said the job of kingdom parents is to raise kingdom kids into kingdom adults. Plain and simple. He said your children are your successors. And as such. You need to equip them to continue carrying out the advancement of God's kingdom and doing that well. In preparing your children with what they need to function well in relationships, at work, and in our society, you are contributing to the enablement of them to either live life with a greater dominion and vastness of power and authority, or a lesser depending on how well you equip them through education, through spiritual growth, and through emotional development, and more. He says, every other institution outside the family is built and predicated upon the institution of the family. If the family disintegrates, then those institutions that depend on strong families will disintegrate as well. He says, once that happens, there's no law that you can pass that will make up for the devastation. There's no program that you can institute that will fix what happens to people's lives when the home is shattered. There is no politician that you can elect who can bring harmony and social order when the family is decimated. He said, there's not much use in talking about the problems in our nation's capital until we fix the problems in our homes. Simply because what ultimately matters is not what happens at the White House, but what is happening at your house. 
How is your garden growing at home? How is your family growing today? We began addressing that last week. Last week we began looking at Genesis chapter 2. At what God did to teach and to prepare Adam, who was the first man, to raise up a godly family. God wanted Adam to be fully equipped as a husband and as a father. Because a family needs both. God gave Adam the mandate to populate the world. We talked about how that was a huge task. I mean, can you imagine that? I don't think he even understood the enormity of that. Adam needed to know how to do that the right way. And the right way is God's way. God wanted Adam to be successful. God wants you to be successful. So there are some things that God taught Adam that I think can help us do our job. There are some timeless lessons that we all need to learn and then apply to our lives. Last week as we began looking at the first couple of verses of Genesis chapter 2, we found that God first began by giving Adam a day of rest and a day of worship. You, You say, well, why that? Well, that's very important. And I think God gave him what he needed first because it was so important. God did this through his own personal example. We can all learn from what God has done in the past. We know scripture teaches us that God is not afraid of work. God worked. God believes in work. Creation was the work of God. And after God got through creating, he says he took a rest. He rested. And in doing so, he set and he gave us an example to follow. Look at verse 1. <coughs> he said so... <clears throat> The creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. In other words, God was through creating whatever he was going to create. Everything was done at that point. On the seventh day, having finished his task, God rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his creation. If you remember, we talked about last week about how God has a purpose in everything that he does. He purposed a lot of things in this early example that he gave. Listen, families need men that will work. They need men that will provide. But they don't need men who will work all the time. They need husbands and fathers who will invest relationally in their families. They need men who will teach by example how to have a relationship with God and how to worship God. Remember, God taught Adam how to rest and how to worship because it's very important in the life of a family. God also gave Adam some work to do. And as we said, the primary work of of Adam was to populate the earth with human beings. But his, real, his first real job was to be the caretaker of God's garden. And, and don't forget the side job that God gave Adam to do, that of naming the, Adam, the animals, which was really an exercise in, in showing Adam that he needed a wife, someone who could help him with his task and someone who could be there to share life with him. Through all of this, God is teaching Adam how to be a husband and how to be the father that his family needed. And, and he was doing that so that he and his family could reach their greatest God-given potential. 
If you were here last week, you would have remember, you will remember me saying, uh, I, I gave you a spiritual principle, spiritual truth, that simply is this. Everything that God does has what? Has order and purpose. Order and purpose. We talked about how God started out by making dirt and water, and then he took that dirt and water, and he made the first man. And once he had Adam, his man, then God planted a garden. God planted a special garden in Eden. Not because God was hungry. Uh, God didn't need us to provide food for him. It was planted for Adam, and indirectly it was planted for us because we're going to learn some lessons from it. Again, I, I, I want to repeat what I said last week. I, I believe as, as God was planting this garden, he had Adam standing over by the edge of the garden watching everything that he was doing and he was learning. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you think about it. God was already in the mode of teaching through example. So I believe that Adam was watching and he was learning. He was learning how to raise a garden. He was learning how to help that garden be fruitful and productive. But what he was really learning was he was learning how to raise a family. How to help them be fruitful. How to help them be productive. In Genesis 2.8. It says, then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he created. So God intentionally made this special, special garden, very special garden. If you know anything about me, I'm not a farmer, but I love to garden. I have two gardens at home. One is a raised bed garden where I grow some tomatoes and some peppers and some herbs for Joyce. It's up close to the house where I can keep an eye on it and it's convenient for Joyce and I. But I also have a garden that's out away from the house, out further in the field. And in that garden, I, I like to grow yellow squash and some zucchini and, and I have some white acre peas growing. I have some cucumbers growing up a trellis and, and I have some uh, speckled butter beans and some okra and it's got a lot of good stuff out there. I actually have two gardens up because there's some things I can't grow up close to the house. So I grow them out in the field. Well, God planted just one special garden. And he placed the man in the garden. And in doing so, he gave him a home. He also gave him a job. That way, Adam and his family would have food to eat. But he would also learn how to raise and care for his family. Now, I believe it's important that we take a look at what God planted in his garden. Genesis 2.9. It said, In the word God planted all sorts of trees in the garden, beautiful trees that produced delicious fruit. At the center of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you can... Only imagine all the different kinds of fruit trees that God had planted in his garden. There has never been a garden anywhere in the world like the one God planted. Our mission teams that have gone into Thailand have had the opportunity to visit one of the most beautiful gardens in the world. It's called the non Nooch Tropical Botanical Garden. I think we've got some pictures of that. Um, there's hundreds of pictures we could show you, but just focus on that for just a minute. It's a 600-acre tract of land. 500 acres of that piece of property is a garden. 
Back in 1954, it was purchased with the intent of making it, turning it into a fruit plantation. But somewhere along the line, the, the vision changed and, and they started focusing on planting tropical plants and flowers with the idea of focusing on conservation. Today, there are literally th- uh, about a thousand different varieties from all over the world of palm trees, all kinds, big ones, little ones, planted in the ground, planted in pots. They're everywhere across that garden. And it, it is one of the most beautiful gardens in the world. It even has a full-size replica of Stonehenge. Pretty amazing. You stand on the hill and look at that and see it. Beautiful garden. But as beautiful as that garden is, it is nothing when compared to the Garden of Eden that God planted. Nothing. Now, can you imagine all the fruit and, and I believe, nut trees that were there in that garden? I, you know, we eat nuts, you know, so I, I think there were also there. That's the kind of fruit for me. Pecans or pecans, whatever you call them. You know, almonds, cashews, walnuts, chestnuts, hazelnuts, probably even some chinky pin trees in there. Y'all know what that is? Little bitty nut. They're really good. I believe there were also peaches, bananas, oranges and apples and avocado trees, fig trees, you name it, it had it. There was more fruit in the Garden of Eden than you can find in a state fairground farmer's market or a super Walmart. There's fruit everywhere. God planted all kinds of delicious fruit and and nut-bearing trees. But have you noticed that he doesn't tell you what they are? Have you noticed that? And maybe that's because we're to assume that every type of tree that God ever made was, was there in the garden. Maybe that's an assumption we're to take. Or just maybe that information was really insignificant when compared to what God really wants us to know about his garden. Think about this. There were thousands of different kinds of fruit trees in that garden. But God only names two. Just two. All the unnamed trees would feed your body and satisfy your appetite. They would take care of you. Physically, they would sustain you in earthly life. But these last two, well, they affect your eternity. They affect your eternity. Now, some believe these trees to be symbolic. I tend to believe that they're real trees. Either way, God wanted Adam, and he wants you to understand their significance. Your eternity may depend on it. So this first tree that he talks about is the tree of life. And as I said, I believe this tree to have been a real tree that produced some type of fruit that had special properties that could sustain life eternally. So that makes this a very, very, very special tree. It was so special that I'm sure God pointed it out to Adam. He needed to know what it was. He needed to know where it had been planted. He needed to know what it looked like. The Bible is specific. It said God planted this tree right in the middle of the garden. So Adam would have walked by this tree on a regular basis as he was caring for all the other trees in the garden. And perhaps, perhaps, 
Its fruits were eaten and enjoyed by Adam and Eve, thus sustaining their life. I say that because God told Adam that they could freely eat of any fruit in the garden. So I think it is safely, uh, it is a safe conclusion that from the very beginning, God purposed for human life to live eternally and not experience death. And note that there was order in how God provided that for them. To live, he gave them this tree of life. Everything God does has purpose and order. Now, the Bible talks more about the tree of life. And in fact, there was a tree of life in the garden there for Adam and his family. And there will also be a tree of life growing in eternity. You may not have thought about that. But it's there for the saved. Revelations 22, verse 1. It says, And the angel showed me a pure river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, coursing down the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. Now, I've tried to envision that. I don't know if that was... A tree of life on one side of the river and a tree of life on the other side. I don't know. Or a tree that grew over the river and there was just kind of the river going through it. I hadn't figured that out yet. Probably won't until I get there. But it says, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. Says the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. That's a whole other sermon there. But I want you to notice that this tree of life is the celestial counterpart To the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. This tree will certainly provide heaven's blessings for all who are eternally saved. It's 12 different types of fruits. Speak of the infinite variety of blessings that we're going to get to enjoy in heaven. I mean, you like fruit? If you do, you're going to have a great time in heaven. It's going to be awesome in heaven. But I want you to notice another interesting thing about this tree. After Adam and Eve sinned against God, a tree that they had free access to, they were quickly denied access to this tree after they sinned. Look back at Genesis 3.22. says, Then the Lord God said, The people have become as we are, knowing everything, both good and evil. He said, What if they eat the fruit of this tree? They will live forever. He said, so the Lord God banished Adam and his wife from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After banishing them from the garden, the Lord God stationed mighty angelic beings to the east of Eden, and a flaming sword flashed back and forth, guarding the way to the tree of life. Wow. Can you all see that? That's pretty scary. What would have happened to Adam and Eve if they'd been able to eat of the tree of life after they sinned? What would have happened to them? If I could be honest, and y'all like for me to be honest, if they'd been able to get to this tree and eat it, they would have been lost to God forever. Lost to God forever. They would have been eternally unforgivable and unredeemable. They would have been like the angels. You see, the angels get 
one chance. If, 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 they, do, if they did something wrong, and, and they did, about a third of them, they got kicked out of heaven. There's no second chance for fallen angels. None whatsoever. That's what would have happened to Adam and Eve. They would have been eternally separated from God. They would have been hell bound with no stay of judgment. So, so God denying them access to this tree was really a kind and gracious act. It was pure mercy. Pure mercy. Mercy was God not giving them what they deserve. God said, if you eat it, you're going to die. And so it also says that God drove them out of the garden. Now, again, Tony Evans said this about it. He said, this was the kindest, uh, kindest thing that God could have done. If, if Adam and Eve had eaten the tree of life, from the tree of life, in their sinful state, they would have forever been locked into that sinful condition and its consequences forever. Guys, God loved Adam and Eve. He had, he had a relationship with them. He would come and walk with them and enjoy the coolness of the garden. And he would talk with them. There was a strong relationship there. And so God did not want them to be eternally separated. And so he expressed that deep, deep love that he had for them in the form of what we now call tough love. Parents, it's no fun applying tough love, is it? But you're not the only one that's ever done that. God did that. It says he drove them out of paradise. This truly was a paradise lost, if there ever was one. But in doing so... He made redemption possible. He gave them hope. There was a chance that they could come back into a relationship with him. He postponed the eternal judgment they deserved. And God provided a redemptive covering, a temporary covering for them by slaying the very first animal. They got to see God put the first animal to death. Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins... For Adam and his wife. Do you remember what they tried to make clothing out of? Fig leaves. How stupid can you get? I mean, that, that was not a real smart move. God had to take up the slack. And he provided them with some really nice clothing. So see, God does all kind of work. I mean, you know. So, so God initially gave Adam and his wife, his family, a way through the tree of life to live with him eternally. That was significant, very significant. That was God's desire. He wanted us to live with him forever and ever and ever and ever. So he made a way. But God also gave Adam a warning, a warning. That if not heeded, could lead to his death. We find that in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. And that warning came directly through God's word. It was a spoken word. Now, if you know anything about God, you know God never wastes a good word. He never even wastes, wastes a single word. He doesn't speak just to be speaking. He means everything that he says. If God says something to you, then it's for your benefit. It's for your own good. Remember again, everything that God does has what? 
order and purpose. So, also, everything that God says has order and purpose. Look at verse 15. The Lord God planted the man in the garden of Eden to tend and care for it. But the Lord God gave him this warning. You may freely eat any fruit in the garden except fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, then you will surely die. Tell me, do you think God could have expressed that or said it any clearer? I mean, you, you, you don't take much to figure that out. The first tree that's named is the tree of life. Now he starts talking about a second tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God said, all the fruit in my garden is on the table. You can eat everything except just one. And no fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil can be eaten, not even a single bite. If and when you do, you will what? Die. Die. It amazes me how these drug companies give you all the warnings about what might happen to you if you take their new drugs. <laughs> I got some medicine this week. I had Ronnie read it. I said, Ronnie... I'm a little scared because some of the things it says. And uh, he said, well, uh, if, you, if you read about Tylenol, you might not take that either. And so, I mean, you know, they, they, they give you all these warnings. It, it sounds like the side effects to the drugs are worse than your problem, right? So, so the potential cure can be worse than the illness that we have. So when you take their drugs, you are really gambling. It is a gamble that you want have a worse situation after you take them. Guys, listen to me. There is no gamble in the Word of God. Are you hearing me? There's no gamble in the Word of God. He always tells you the absolute truth. You can count on God's Word. Always. Now, when God gave this warning to Adam, Eve had not yet made her grand entrance. That was still to come. And that was because God still had something else to give and to teach Adam. And here it is. God wanted Adam to learn. And this is really, really, really big. He wanted Adam to learn that when he said something, Adam could trust it to be the truth. He wanted him to know that as God, he never lies. He speaks the absolute truth every time he speaks. Adam needed to learn that. So do you. I went out to my garden a couple of weeks ago. And I found that the deer had been dining on my cucumbers. I had some nice, beautiful shoots running up the trellis. And on one side, they were all trimmed. That deer stood right there and just had a good time. And so I said, well, if I don't do something, there's not going to be any out here tomorrow. So I went in my shop and I got my roll of 
uh, electric fence wire and I got some of my electric fence posts and I put me electric fence around my garden. I ran two wires all the way around the garden. And I hooked it up to my old solar electric fence charger that I had back when we had horses. I hooked it up to that. And, and after I got it all hooked up, I reached up and I turned it to the own button. And it started clicking a familiar sound. You know, I knew because it was clicking, it should be working. And I have this little tool. You can, I could have gone back in the shop and got it and tested. It's a fence charger tester. You, you put the ground in the ground and, and then you put it on the wire. But I didn't have time to do that, so I, I didn't test it. It's clicking. I figured it's probably working. Okay? But I wasn't sure. A couple of days later, Josh is over at the house. And, and Josh and I go out to the garden. And uh, I, I say to Josh, Josh, there is now an electric fence around the garden. And you can't touch this fence because when you do, it is going to shock you. And it will hurt you. So I, I warned him. But just like God warned Adam about, listen to me, just, just, just like God warned Adam about eating of that tree that he would die, Adam had no reference for that. He didn't know what dying was. Josh had no experience with electric fence. And to my knowledge, to my knowledge, he had never been shocked. I clearly said to him, Josh, listen to me. Listen. If you touch this fence, it's going to shock you. And you're going to yell. And it's going to hurt you. And you might even do a few other things. We won't get into that. Okay? Josh is a 10-year-old boy. And I knew that sooner or later he was going to touch that fence. And if that fence was working, I knew it was going to shock him. Well, sooner it came quicker than later. <laughs> and before I could say don't do it, he took his finger and he went. And he touched that wire. And it didn't shock him. And I thought, darn thing's not working. It's clicking. It ought to be working. And then before I could say, really don't do it, he reached over and he put his finger on top of it. And when he did, it hit him. And he yelled and he jerked it back. And I said, thank you for checking my fence. <laughs> no, and I didn't say that. I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I thought that, but I didn't say that. I said, Josh, did it get you? He said, yes, Papa, all the way up to my elbow. Leah, forgive me for talking about my grandson. <laughs> it was a perfect illustration. I had to use it. I mean, you know. So here's the moral of the story. The next time I tell Josh, my grandson, not to do something, maybe, just maybe, he'll believe that I'm telling him the truth. You reckon? 
Adam didn't learn either. That's exactly what God was trying to teach Adam. That's a lesson we need to learn. God said to Adam, you may freely eat of any fruit in the garden except from the, from the tree of the knowledge of, the good and e- of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you will surely die. The, the New King James actually says, the day, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So here's my question to you. Did Adam die the same day the ate of that tree? Some people would say no. You got to remember that Adam and Eve sinned before they had any children. I don't know how old Adam was when Cain and Abel were born. We do know that he was 130 years old when Seth was born. And the scripture actually says that Adam lived another 800 years and he had other sons and daughters And Adam lived 930 years, and then he what? He died. 930 years. He died a long, 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 long time after he sinned. So did God lie to Adam? No. In fact, he told him the absolute truth. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. There's a lot of scripture that apply to this, but this verse gets to the point. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. It didn't say it entered the world. It said it entered the entire human race. Why? Because from that point on, we all have a sin nature. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Every last one of us. Adam sinned, brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone Sinned. Paul also wrote in the 6th chapter that the wages of sin is death. So did Adam die? Absolutely. He just didn't die physically. But there are more kinds of death than physical death. In fact, the Bible talks about three different kinds of death. There is spiritual death. There is physical death. And there is eternal death. What are those, Pastor? Well, when a person sins for the very first time, and you could be four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, I don't know, when you sin the very first time, at that very moment, they die spiritually in relationship to God. It leaves them lost and separated from God. When I'm talking to children, this is the way I try to illustrate this. You know, I I try to be simple. Simple minds have to do simple things, okay? (laughs) If this were God and this were you, when you were born, you and God were like this. Y'all see that? Close. That's the way Adam and Eve were with God, walking in the garden. But the day that they sinned, they became separated from God. Separated from God. I I asked a, a young child one day, I said... Are you like this with God or are you like this with God? They go, well, I hadn't, I hadn't done that much. <laughs> I'm not that bad. <laughs> and I said, okay, you tell me if there's any difference in this and this. Is there any difference between this and this? No, separated is separated, right? Dead is dead. You're just as much a sinner here as you are here. 
Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Listen, the Lord is not too weak to save you, and he's not becoming deaf. He can hear you when you call. It doesn't matter where you are in this world. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He can hear you. He can see you. But notice verse 2. But there is a problem. And it's not with God's ability. The problem is your sins have cut you off. They've separated you from God. And because of your sin, he has turned away and will not listen to you anymore. What does that mean, Pastor? It means you're on your own. It means you're flying solo. Adam became separated from God the day that he first sinned, and so did you. That means he was lost and spiritually dead. Everybody has that condition. That meant he had no relationship with God. That meant he was on his own by himself. And at that point, he didn't belong to God. He was outside the family of God. So being lost, he also began the process of dying physically. And eventually he died at 930 years of age. You won't live that long. We're all going to die. And a lot of us, in fact, got a text last night from Joyce's sister. A boy, a man that I went to school with, a year, maybe two years younger than me, died yesterday. 63. That's pretty young, right? That's pretty young. Died. Wasn't a believer either. Here's the problem. Here's the real danger in this condition. If you are lost, if you are separated from God, and then you physically die in that condition then all of the opportunities that you have had to be saved and fix that problem, they end. They end. And you will be eternally separated, lost, dead to God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever without end. You see, physical death seals your eternal fate. You have choices in this life. And, and I don't know how many times I've said this over 30 years in ministry. God gives you 75 plus or minus years to live on this earth to decide where you want to spend eternity. You can go to heaven or you can wind up in hell. That is your decision. You have that opportunity to make that decision now. But once you die, you lose that opportunity. As you are when you die, saved or lost, so will you be for all eternity. And eternity is a long, long time. Listen to me. It doesn't have to be that way for you. You don't have to die physically and be 
spiritually dead to God and wind up being eternally dead forever and ever and ever. You don't have to do that. That's what Jesus was all about. Jesus has made a way for that to be fixed. Look at Romans 6.23 with me. We've already read that the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. That's what you get if you live in sin. But, and I'm so glad there's a but here. <laughs> you can circle the but, okay? <laughs> Woo, glory. But, he says, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. You understand that? free you don't have to earn it you don't have to work for it you don't have to buy it you don't have to get in line for it you have to wait till it comes your turn free means you can have it right now the free gift of God is what eternal life you don't have to eat fruit from a tree all you got to do is invite Jesus in the yard it's simple and if you do, you can live with God forever and ever and ever. I don't know how much simpler I can make it. The question is, what are you going to do? There's lost people in this room, and you know who you are. There's some more of you that aren't sure. That is no way to live your life. If you don't have absolute certainty that if you draw your last breath today that you're going to go straight into the presence of God, you need to do something about it. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're only guaranteed this moment. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Just a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to come if you need Christ. Ronnie and the team are going to play some music, and there's going to be an invitation. The invitation is you can come and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can come rededicate your life to the Lord. You can come pray for a lost friend or family member. I believe because God's word never comes back void that God has said something to every person in this room today. If you've heard him, if you really heard him, you will obey. Whatever that is, you will do it. If you, if you haven't, if you're not going to obey him, you haven't listened. And you'll leave just the way you came. I pray that won't happen. Let's pray together. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, I pray for everyone here, including myself, because, Lord, this message spoke to me first. I was sitting next to Ronnie, Lord, yesterday when he prayed for my friend David who had a stroke. And I, I saw the effect on Ronnie because Ronnie had a stroke. And he said, for it not the grace of God, that would be me. He was spared. You're in the business of sparing us of what we deserve. We all deserve hell, 
We all deserve to be eternally separated from you, but the gift you want to give us that's free is Jesus, and he is the one who can make things right between you and us. He can forgive our sin, and he can set us free from that slavery that we're in, and he can make us right so that you will accept us into heaven. Father, I pray this morning, because I, I, I know that there are some here that need to be saved, and they're struggling with that. They know who they are. Uh, they, they know what they need to do. But the devil's got a hold of them, and they just don't want to turn loose. God, please, draw them. Pull them. Just as you, you drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, God, draw the lost to you today. The same strength, the same power. You can save, and you can redeem them. Help them to be obedient to you today. I want to give you praise and honor and glory because you're an awesome God, and you have provided so much for us, and everything you do has purpose and order. God, you brought us here today for a purpose. And the way that we can take advantage of that is simply to obey. Please help us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand. And I want you to do what God puts on your heart to do. I say that every week, but I mean it with all my heart. Please, don't go home like you came. Go home different. Go home changed. Be who God wants you to be. Please come. You come.